it. All right, take your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and happy Father's Day to all the dads. We love you guys. We honor the dads. We appreciate the dads, and I think that today the Lord has a word for us dads. Everybody say, for the dads. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now, this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. Verse 2, that, that in that land you may fear the Lord your God. That you may do what? Fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you. You and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. So, Father, help us today, Lord, as we get into your word, we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That it would not just be gospel and word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And that, Lord God, you would anoint not just the delivery of the word, but the reception of the word, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would be strong upon our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. May our spirits perceive and receive what you're speaking to us today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So Israel here had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and they are just about to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. And through Moses, God says to the people, he says, you are about to enter a land that is wicked and that is evil and that is full of perversion. He says it is a place that is full of decadent pagan people who are violent, who are sensual, who are perverted. He says they, they worship idols. They sacrifice their children to those idols. They're devoted to those idols. They will defend those idols. He says it is a godless place. It is a corrupt place. And it is a place that will be hostile to your faith and to your family. And also, it will be seductive and it will be tempted and it will test you every day. But what we just read is God saying to his people, as you go into that land, that land that is wicked and hostile and corrupt, Moses tells them, in that land that is hostile, remember the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you and taught you. He said, in that land, remember, as you interact with the people, as you go about your daily business, as you're living in that land, remember the statutes that the Lord has given you. He says, observe them in that land. Fear the Lord in that land. Serve God in that land. And not just you. He says, you need to serve God. You need to have such an intensity and such a devotion with your faith that it spills out of you into the lives of your sons and your daughters, that your children and your children's children will serve me and fear me all the days of their lives so that you will be blessed and you will prosper in that land. 
It's not just a word for that generation because God is always forward thinking. How many understand that? God is always about posterity and what we lead to the generation coming behind us. And God said that when you're in that land, you need to recognize that there's a generation coming behind you that you have a responsibility to. What those men of Israel were charged with that day as they were about to lead their families into this corrupt land of Canaan is exactly what we need to hear today as well. Now, we may not be facing Canaanites and Ammonites and Jebusites and and Philistines, but we are in a culture that is just as wicked and perverted as that one was. This culture that we are in today is being weaponized against our faith. This culture that we are in today is being weaponized against family and being weaponized, listen, especially being weaponized against children and youth. The culture that we're in today is hostile towards children and youth like never before. And listen, like never before, the role of the father in the home is indispensable. Like never before, we need fathers like we need them today. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, bring up your children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The King James says, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We need fathers today. We need dads today who are present and who are engaged in their homes and their families. We need dads whose voices are heard in the home and whose words are planted into the hearts of their children so that their children will be empowered to stand in this culture. We need dads, fathers, who are examples in the home to their children, grandfathers who are examples to their grandchildren of what it means to fear the Lord and remember the Lord in a wicked culture. We need fathers who are firm, who are secure, and who are confident in who they are, even though the world will try to tell you that because you're a man, you, 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 your masculinity is toxic. You know, that's what the world will tell you today. You know, that, that you're, 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 you're part of the, the, the patriarchy, that you're part of the, the hegemonic powers that oppress women and children, and you as a man should be ashamed of yourself. You're toxic. But I'm here to tell you that we are living in a day where we need men who are not afraid to be men, fathers who are not afraid to be fathers, dads who are not afraid to be dads. And as David said to his son Solomon, as David was about to die from the earth and he handed the kingdom over to his son, he said, Solomon, prove yourself a man. The Bible is unashamed about calling men out. And the Bible does not tell us that being a man is toxic. We need men. We need dads. We need fathers. And our children need dads that are strong and that are present and that are engaged. Amen? Amen. So from this text, I want to unpack four keys of wisdom for dads on how to lead our families through this 21st century modern day land of Canaan. Because the Ammonites and the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they're out there. You hear what I'm saying? The inhabitants of the land are out there. 
And we need to empower our children and our children's children to stand strong. So four truths to preserve your family. And I hope I get through all four of them because I didn't in the first service. So <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Let's move on. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He goes on and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a powerful statement. That actually right there is known as the Shema in, in Hebrew. It, it was a sacred text that, that was so sacred that Orthodox Jews, even to this day, they will repeat it. They'll recite it twice a day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And verse 5, because the Lord is one and he is God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and these words which I command you today shall be in your, shall be where? These words that I give you today, I command you today, he says you need to get them in your heart. So the first wisdom key for dads, if we're going to lead our families, our children, effectively through the land of Canaan, we need to put the word of God in our own heart. The words which I command you today shall be in your heart. The first thing that we need to understand, if we're going to get God's word in our kids' hearts, it first has to be in our hearts. Hello? Because if his word is not alive in us, then how can we expect his word to come alive in them? If, you don't have, if we don't have a walk with Christ, how can we expect our kids to have a walk with Christ? Listen, dads. If our kids, if they, never, if they never see us at home, walking in the room, they walk in the room and there we are with the Word of God open, reading the Word of God. If our kids never see that, if our kids never see us in private, in prayers, praying out to God, calling out the name of Jesus, if our kids never see us in the house of God with our hands lifted up, speaking the name of Jesus, worshiping the name of Jesus. If our kids don't see us doing that, how can we expect them to do that? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, we, we need serious, radical, powerful Christians to live for Jesus in this day. Listen, the, the time for ambiguity in our faith, the time for just being, you know, kind of a nebulous, just kind of, you know, well, whenever I, no, no, no. We are living in days where this culture is being weaponized against the faith and against our children. And we need people, we need dads who are serious about leading their children through this culture without being sucked into it because it's happening, Right? And listen, if we as dads, if we, if we hardly get in the word, if we hardly pray, if we hardly worship, if we hardly go to church, like only when it's convenient, you know, once a month or once every, every couple months, right? Then don't wonder why when our kids are adults that they want nothing to do with church. When we, when we model, well, church isn't really a priority. You know, worshiping Jesus isn't really a priority. We get there, you know, when we, when we have time, when it's convenient. When we do, if we do that, we cannot wonder why our kids have no interest in serving the Lord when they're adults. Amen? Right? Our kids need to see something genuine, something real in us, not just lip service, not just talk, not just religion. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul talked to Timothy 
about the genuine faith that is in you, which was first in your mother. What impacted Timothy was not just words. It was genuine faith that he witnessed and he experienced and he felt that was passed down from his mother to him. And this is the faith that impacts children. It's not dropping them off at Sunday school, right? It's, it's, it's not dropping them off at youth. It's them seeing it alive in their parents and especially in their dad. Now, look, it was great that Timothy, Timothy's mother was an example, as most moms are. But let me tell you this. There is no greater influence on the mind of a child than the example of the father. Can I just say that? There's no greater influence on the mind of a child than the example of a father. And that's why he said, put the word of God in your heart and let your children see it and let them hear it and let them experience how the word of God, how your love for Jesus is real. Let them witness it. Amen? So that's the first point. The second thing we see here is in verse 7. Moses said, you shall teach them diligently. You shall what? Teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Second wisdom truth for leading our families through the land of Canaan is that we need to teach God's word to our children diligently. I know it sounds so basic, it sounds so simple, right? But this is what, listen, it means that we as dads, we need to be present. We need to be engaged. We need to be responsive. We need to be purposeful. We need to be intentional in teaching our families the word of God. The word diligent means move quickly and do your best. That's what God is saying here. We need to be so committed to teaching the word of God. That we're doing our best and we're doing it quickly. Every opportunity that we see, everything that goes on around us, is an opportunity to teach them the Word of God. Amen? Amen. To imprint our faith upon our children, to impart our values to our kids. That's what he's talking about here. You teach it to your kids. Now you might say, well, you know, Pastor Greg, that's, that's kind of old school. That's old-fashioned, you know. That's kind of traditional parenting. Not today, not in the 21st century. We don't force our values onto our kids. It's not how we do that today. We want them to discover for themselves who they are. We don't, want, we don't want to assume their gender. We don't want to program for faith. We, we don't even know really if they're a boy or a girl. They may have been born with outdoor plumbing, but we don't know really if they're, because they, they might, if, you know, eventually tell us they feel like a girl. And we don't want to impose our values on them, right? We want them to decide for themselves what faith they're going to follow. They might want to be a Muslim. They might want to be a Buddhist. They might want to be an atheist. We don't want to. We need to let them discover, right? That's what we're hearing today. Oh, and it sounds so sophisticated, doesn't it? Oh, so progressive. So intellectual. Oh, you're so smart. I wish I could be smart like you. You're so nice. Well, let me tell you something. The devil is not so nice. 
The devil is not so sophisticated. The devil is not so intellectual. He is shoving his lies down your kids' throats every opportunity he gets. Shoving it down their throats in the schools, on social media, around their friends. There is a steady, unrelenting barrage of overt sexuality, secularism, atheism, transgenderism, homosexuality that the enemy is pumping into our kids. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it is blatant, it is militant, it is aggressive. In fact, just this week, this past week, I read an article in the New York Post it reported that in or, the organization known as Drag Queen Story Hour New York City. Yeah, I didn't even know they had chapters. They got chapters all over the place, right? But this year alone, listen, this year alone, Drag Queen Story Hour, it's a homosexual organization where they promote you know, men dressed up as women dancing around in drag, right? They appeared... 49 times in 34 public schools in New York City and received over 207,000 dollars in taxpayer funding. This culture has been weaponized against youth and children, and it's not going to get better. And listen, dads and moms, it's your teaching, it's your example, it's your training that are your child's primary defense against the lies of this world. Your intentional, purposeful, deliberate teaching. Not sitting back and saying, well, we're just going to let them grow and develop and figure it out. No, no, no. You Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. We need to teach them what it means what it means to be a Christian. We need to teach them. Listen, don't wait for your, your newborn baby boy to tell you whether or not he's a boy or a girl. If he's born a boy, he's a boy. Teach him how to be a boy. If she's born a girl, she's a girl. Teach her how to be a girl. Amen? This is what we're talking about here, right? Train him up. Teach him. Now, you might say, well, that's why we sent him to church. That's, that's why we bring him to youth group. That's why we bring him... Wednesday nights, right? That's why we pay a youth pastor. Do your job. <laughs> Teach our kids, you know, the Word of God. But listen, it's not the church's job to disciple your kids. Verse 7 here that we read, it doesn't say the church teach them. It doesn't say the youth pastor teach them. It says you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, right? The primary role for the discipleship of your children is not the church, it's the parents. The parents, that's God's plan for discipling your children and for preparing the generation to be able to navigate this wicked culture. The parents. And if the parents do not step up to teach their children, if the dads are not stepping up to teach their children, then we are setting our kids up as easy targets for the enemy in this culture. Now listen, the church, we will support you. We will reinforce everything that you're teaching. We will help to provide examples. We are there to assist you, but it is not our job to disciple your kids. Hello? It's not our job. Right? In, in Hebrew... 
the word for parent is the same root word for teacher. In other words, if you're a parent, you're a teacher. Did you get that? You're a parent, you're a teacher, right? So tell somebody, do your job. Oh, that was weak. <laughs> right? Here's some guidelines for teaching our children diligently. First of all, be proactive. Be proactive. What does that mean? That means regularly, consistently, we need to be teaching them the principles of God's word. That God is our creator. That God has given us his word and we read it and study it and obey it. That he calls us to worship him and that he calls us into community and that we live by the Ten Commandments and that we're called to be kind to one another and compassionate to one another and to love one another and that there's a such place as heaven and there's a such place of hell and one day each one of us will stand before God and give an account of our lives to him. These are basic principles and truths that we should be regularly teaching our children. Yes? Amen? Be proactive. And then secondly, be reactive. Be reactive. There are certain things that are going to happen all around you on a regular basis that require a response from you as a parent speaking into the lives of your children. We call them teaching moments. Everybody say teaching moments. Teaching moments, right? When your child comes home and says, yeah, we, we learned today about evolution. That's a teaching moment. Right? Where you as a parent say, well, you know, it's fine that they're teaching that in school, but you know, that's just a theory, and we believe what the Bible says, that God is a creator. Right? And, and it may require you as a parent to become a little educated. Right? On creation theories. And, right? And, and what it means that, that there's an intelligent designer to kind of become educated a little bit. Why? So that we can be reactive and we can teach our kids the proper way, right? When, when you're watching TV and, and you see it, there's a gay character on TV, which is becoming more and more predominant because there's an intentional agenda in the media to normalize behavior that the Bible says is sin, right? And so we want to take those as teaching moments to say, well, you know, Really what the Bible says about that is, you know, and you explain God's design for human sexuality, right? Or any, anything else that, that, you, that you see going on watching, te- boy, television gives you a lot of teaching moments, doesn't it? Or how about in the media? We, unfortunately, tragically, we just heard about a mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. Teaching moments to explain to our children, listen, this is, this is the result of living in a broken world. God didn't create us this way, but because sin entered humanity, we fell from God's presence, and now everyone is broken, and there's so much pain, and there's so much hurt, and there's so much torment in people's lives, right? And this is why we've got to tell people about the love of God. See, we, we get involved in all of these stimuli that our kids, our kids are experiencing, and we explain them, and we give them a proper biblical context. And I'm here to say, dads, primarily, it falls to us. Don't just leave it up to mom. Don't just leave it up to the wife and say, well, that's the wife's thing. You know, I, I go to work, you know, and I go to work, and I work hard, and I bring the money home, and, you know, and that's my job. She talks all that Jesus stuff. No, 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 no. We need to be teaching our children. Amen? Amen, Amen dads? Yes? Be creative. Be creative is another one. Find ways to incentivize teaching, learning, memorizing, studying God's word. Right? That, that you give them opportunities to earn rewards because they've memorized God's word. How many know what I'm talking about? It sounds a little bit like manipulation, Pastor. And? 
right? Our kids would come home on Friday, you know, after a week of school, and we would let them get on their gaming systems, you know, for a little time on the weekends. But first, everybody say, but first, they had to open the Bible, and they had to read an assignment out of the Bible before they could get on their games, right? And I don't mean just read it. I mean, now you need to be able to exegete the scriptures to me, right? I want you to explain what the word is saying. What does it mean? Give me a practical application into your life. What is all this, right? And so they would have to read the word of God. So they'd come home from school, and before they would say anything, they'd say, okay, what am I reading? What's my assignment? And they would read it, and then they'd come back, right? So we give them incentives. Be creative, okay? Whatever it is they want. Don't just give it away. Hello? Right? Whatever your kids want to do, whatever they love doing, don't just give it away. Make them work for it. Yeah, I know. I'm a horrible, cruel parent. I know, right? And how about this? Be creative, but be corrective. Be corrective. What does that mean? That means that our kids need to be corrected constantly. Any parents know what I'm talking about? Why? Because your kids are sinners. Because their hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And they will do things that are disobedient and defiant. And when that happens, they need correction. They need to understand that God has certain rules and commandments. Everybody say rules. I don't know why people have such a hard time with rules. God's given us rules. Amen? Hello? He's given us rules. Like what? Like Thou shalt not steal. There's a good one. Thou shalt not lie. There's another good one. Okay? There's ones you're going to be dealing with with your your kids all the time. Okay? And they need to realize, they need to learn that if they violate God's rules and they step over those boundaries, there will be consequences. This is how the principles of God work in our lives. Everybody say consequences. This is one of the areas where many parents are failing today. They're failing to teach their children the laws of consequence. That if you disobey, bad things are going to happen. Amen? Amen. Right? That's why Proverbs 13.24 says, He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Man, where'd everybody go? (laughs) All right, let me clarify. Proverbs 23, verse 13 says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod... He will not die. (laughs) You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Some of you people are getting a little too excited about this. I don't know. Wait a minute. Pastor... Are you talking about spanking? Yeah. Pastor Greg, did you spank your children? 
I never spanked them. That woman over there, though. She's crazy. We, we called it training. We didn't call it spanking. We called it training. Applying the Board of Education to the seat of knowledge. Listen, we had five kids in the house. I mean, if you didn't take control quick and early, you were in trouble because you'd lose it real quick, right? And so, and so yes, we would, we would spank our children. We would discipline our children, right? Now, here's a couple of things to remember. First of all, in spanking, always be consistent. Everybody say consistent, okay? Which means what? It means we required immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. There was no counting going on. Okay, one, I'm going, to, I'm going to say two pretty soon, get off your brother, two, two, all right, three's coming, knock it off, you better stop, two and a half, it's coming, three's coming, none of that, none of that, we would give our child a directive and the child had one chance, everybody say one chance. You got one chance to obey. One chance. That's it. And if you disobey, yes, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And they got it. Especially that one Dylan. He got it all the time. <laughs> right? Consistency. And always with love. Amen? Amen. Come on. Always with love. Never in anger, never when you're out of control, never when you're seeing red. I mean, there might be times where you got to take a time out first and calm yourself down, right? And get control of yourself. Never in anger, right? And so, yes, we would discipline our children. What I would do is I would, I would take the child and I'd stand there, stand there before me, right? And I'd say, now you understand that what you did was wrong. <laughs> now you, you understand. That because I love you, I have to teach you that when you do bad things, bad things happen to you. <laughs> right? Said so, so, then we would have our session. And the child would be crying. You say, you mean you spanked them until they cried? What's the point of spanking them if they don't cry? <laughs> and so... And so they're crying, and then I would, I would be sitting there, and I'd wait for them to calm down, and I'd say, now you know I love you, right? There's no anger. There's no out of control, right? It wasn't excessive. You know I love you. You know that I only do this because I want you to learn that you can't do these things, whatever it was that they did. And then I would hug them, and I'd love on them, right? Okay? Amen? So there's a, a right way and a wrong way, but children need to be corrected because they are vicious sinners. And they will take over your home if you do not get, listen, you need to teach, we need to teach our children who's in charge. Amen? Have you ever seen a house where a three-year-old runs the house? Don't point at anybody. No pointing right now. Okay? But have you ever been around, the, I mean in a restaurant? Have you ever been in a restaurant, two tables over, and the three-year-old is running the table? Right? 
And we learn real quick that you've got to get, you've got to assert authority in your home and be in charge of your children. And here's the key. If you do it, if you do it early and you do it quick, you won't have to do it a lot. Because you're establishing a culture. What culture? A culture where mommy and daddy are the boss and you're not. And what we say goes. Amen? You need to establish a culture in the home early. Amen? Right. Okay. And the time will come, and you have to be careful of this too, where they're too old to spank. Everybody say too old. Okay? And that's when you got to get creative. Other means of correction, other means of discipline, you know, take the phone away, remove the computer, turn the internet off, television privileges, right? No TV, grounded in the room. I think our firstborn was in his room for like seven years. <laughs> take the gaming system away, right? Amen? It's about having authority over the life of your kid. And if your kid says, no, that's, that's my phone, that's my gaming system, that, it's not yours. It's, what do you mean it's yours? It's not yours, it's mine. I'm the parent, it's mine. In fact, this room that you're living in is my room. I'm just being nice enough to let you stay there. In fact, this door is my door. And I want it. I'm taking it off the hinges, right? All right, let me move on here. God's word in your heart, teach your children diligently. And, <laughs> and um, I'm just thinking, some of, the, some of the, young, the young people here, the parents are thinking, I am never having kids. <laughs> I, am, I am good, okay? <laughs> All right. Teach them diligently. Verse 8, he says, you shall bind them as a sign. Now look at this. He says, you shall bind the statutes of God as a sign on your hand, and they shall become as frontlets between your eyes. Okay? So this is the third wisdom key. Be careful what you hold and what you watch. That God's word, guard your hands, whatever you hold, and let God's word guard your eyes, whatever you watch. Now, the Pharisees turned this into a legalistic practice. They made these little boxes called phylacteries. And what they would do is they would take the, the, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and subsequent verses, and they would roll it up in a little scroll, and they would put it in the phylactery, and then they would strap the phylactery, these little boxes, to their arms and, and to their foreheads during prayer so that they would signify to God that they really took his word seriously, okay? But this is not what Moses was talking about. Moses wasn't saying to turn it into some religious rite. Moses was saying that God's word should be so much in our hearts, so much in our minds, that it governs what we handle and what we see, that it governs how we hold things and how we look at things. Now, this, I believe, is a really appropriate word for us today, this warning about things that we hold in our hands and things that we view with our eyes. Because what is it today that we constantly have in our hands and are looking at with our eyes? I don't know. Do you think Moses was talking about smartphones? Our hands are constantly holding them, right? Our eyes are constantly looking at them. And Moses was saying, be careful with what's in your hands and with what you're viewing and make sure 
that God's word is governing that activity. Amen? Right? Does that make sense? I know Moses wasn't talking about cell phones, but I think that applies to us. I know it's a little bit of eisegesis going on right now, but I think you'll forgive me. So let me just give you a question. Dads, here's a question for you, dads. Does your child really need a smartphone? That was like the voice of God. It was like, whoa. She had a microphone. No. <laughs> Do you know that in the United States, the average kid gets their first smartphone at age 10? 10 years old. And did you know that by age 12, 50, listen, 50% of 12-year-old children in America are active on social media? 50% on Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok, right? 12 years old. Even the world knows that's too young because the Ch Children's Online Privacy Protection Act set the minimum for social media outlets at 13. And if you have a 12-year-old or younger that's on one of those outlets, it's because they lied or because you lied to get them on it, right? Now, you might say, well, how long should I wait before allowing my child to have a smartphone and get on social media? How long? How long? How long? Here's a, here's a real simple answer, real easy, real easy answer. As long as you possibly can, keep them off social media. As long as possible. Because social media is poison. It is the devil's playground. Right? Can you make them wait till 17, 18, 21? The older, the better. Because social media, listen, it is accelerating emotional illness in young people, depression in young people, and suicide in young people. Social media is a social contagion that is ruining our culture, and it's ruining our kids, and the devil loves it. I published an article, you can go to it on, on my website, that is called, Should Your Child Be on Social Media? And it'll give you seven dangers as to why your child should not be on social media. Listen, Generation Z, Gen Z, is having serious problems. Kids born after 1994 are now, today, they are much more fragile emotionally. They're depressed. They have higher rates of suicide than any time before especially young girls, young girls, because listen, young girls, young, they're not equipped emotionally. Their brains, their, 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 their frontal cortex, it, it's not been developed enough yet to handle a lot of the information and the stress and the anxiety that is being produced by being on social media. They can't handle it. Listen, what do you think happens when a 15-year-old girl posts a picture of herself on social media, and then waits for others to judge her. I mean, do you think that that's healthy? Because that's exactly what happens. In fact, a 10-year study from Brigham Young University showed that as social media use increases among girls, so does their risk for suicide and depression. There's a strong correlation there, right? 
And dads and moms, we need to recognize the, the wisdom that God has given us, that we need to guard what's in our hands and what we're watching and what we're seeing. Amen? Amen, church? Come on, let's get smart about this. Let's get smart about this. But pastor, my kid needs a phone. They got to have a phone. Okay, well, first of all, if you want to get your kid a phone, get your kid one of those phones that don't get on the internet. Okay, basically you're going to make a call and call 911 and that's it. <laughs> Amen? Well, I tell you, all the young people in this room, they hate me right now. I mean, if you, I need to send security out to my car and make sure they don't start stabbing my tires or something like that. <laughs> you can get a phone, you can, dis, you can put parental locks on it. Amen? Right? And if you do give them a phone, you need to remind them that the phone that they have is not their phone, it's your phone. Hello? I'm not buying you a phone, I'm not giving you a phone. This is my phone, and I'm letting you use it. Yes? Right? That means that you have the code, that means that you monitor its use, that means that you define when they use it, when they don't use it, right? When they come home, they give it to you, they surrender it to you, they don't use it during meals, they don't use it during family gatherings, they don't take it into their bedroom, they don't, certainly don't go to sleep with it at night. Hello? I know some of you think I'm crazy right now. You think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you what's going on on social media and YouTube is ruining the lives and the emotional well-being of our young people. It's ruining them. It's destroying them. When you look at the rates of, of, of transgenderism and you look at the rates of, of, of homosexuality and you see how it's, how it's leaped statistically from 2.5% 10 years ago to 12 to 14% today, that's not natural. That's a social contagion that is affecting the mental welfare of our young people. And YouTube is driving it. And Instagram is driving it. And Facebook is driving it. And TikTok is driving it. And Snapchat is driving it. You hear what I'm saying? Get your kids off social media. Amen? And if you give them a phone, it doesn't mean they should be on so They don't need to be on social media. They don't need to be. Hello? Right? And tell them if I find you on social media, because God will tell me, then you lose the phone. Amen. Your kid doesn't need a phone. Hello? Come on. How many of us made it the first 20 years of our lives never having a cell phone? Anybody here ever? Did you make it? Look at all these people that are. Hallelujah. You survived 20 years. The first 20 years of your life without a phone. You're awesome. Amen? Come on, parents. We need to start being the parent. You are not called to be your kid's friend. Hello? And you can remind them of that. You can tell them, I am not your friend. <laughs> Let me say that again, because you didn't hear me. You were clapping. Tell your child, I am not your friend. I am your parent. I am your dad. I am your mother. Stop trying to be the cool mom. Stop trying to be the cool dad. I got news for you. 
You are not cool. <laughs> you can try to dress cool. You can try to talk cool. You can listen to the cool music. But you will never be cool. <laughs> never. Your kids will look at you and say, you, they will roll their eyes and they're just saying, you are not cool. Okay? That train left the station a long time ago. Stop trying to be cool. Be the parent. Take authority. Maintain authority. Be in control. Your child's spiritual and mental health is at stake. Amen? Yes. Amen. Amen. All right. Finally, let me give you this real quick. Number four. Number four. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, verse 9, and on your, and on your gates. Now, the Jewish people took this literally, and many do still today, were the heads of the homes. The fathers would actually, um, they would get what's called a, a, a mezuzah, and they would fasten it to the doorposts of the home, and in that, it's a little box, a little cylindrical box, and in that is a script, some scriptures that are rolled up, Ten Commandments or, or the, the Shema, it's in there. And basically what it's saying is that in this home, we are governed by the Word of God. When you enter into this home, you're entering into a place that is governed by the Word of God. Not only that, it also meant when we leave this home and when we go out into the world, we are still governed by the Word of God. Coming in, going out, the Word of God. Amen? So that's the, for, the fourth and final duty. The fourth and final wisdom uh, key is this. Fathers, it is up to you to set the moral and spiritual tone in the home for the family. Fathers, it's up to us. Everybody say fathers. fathers. It's up to us. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the declaration that fathers need to be made. Now, thank God for godly mothers. Amen? Yeah. Right? But listen, dads, we're going to answer to God for the spiritual climate of our homes. In the garden, who took the first bite? The woman. But when God came into the garden, who did he look for? The man. He was looking for Adam. Right? And if we ever need... Yes, the women are saying, that is so good. That is so good. <laughs> if ever we needed dads to be dads, it's today. We need strong fathers. We need strong men. We need strong leaders in our homes. Men who understand it is their duty to train their children and to love their wives and to make their families resilient against the Canaanites in the land. Let's stand together. Men, the world will tell you that your masculinity is toxic, that you're the problem. That you're part of, of the patriarchy, oppressing women and children. But I am here once again to remind you that God created men to be men. David told his son Solomon, be strong and prove yourself a man. Hallelujah. That's a word for us today. Okay? If you're a young man, if you're an old man, if you're a boy who wants to be a man, if you're a man who's not sure if he's a man, like David said to Solomon, I'm saying to you today, you're a man. Prove yourself a man. Be a dad. 
Be a strong dad. Be an active dad. Be a present dad. Be an engaged dad. Put the word in your heart. Teach your children the word. Guard what's in the hands and in the eyes. Amen? Be a strong dad and set the spiritual climate for your home. And when you do this, God will will help you. He'll help you. He will bless you. He will take what you're imparting and he will add his anointing to your children. You're giving the Holy Spirit something to work with. Amen? Hallelujah. So Father, we thank you for your word today. And for this charge to fathers you have given us in your word. Bless the dads, Lord, we pray. Bless the dads, Lord. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your grace. Amen, dads? Amen, dads? Come on, lift up a hand to the Lord. Dads, come on, lift up a hand. And just just to say, yes, Lord, I need your grace. I need your wisdom, God. I need your anointing, Lord, to be able to do what you've called me to do as a dad. I need you, Lord can't do it without you. So I cry out to you, Lord, on this Father's Day to say it's only by your grace, God. I need you in my home. I need you in my family. I need, my kids need you in their lives, Lord. Help me to be that dad that they need me to. Come on, lift up both hands now. Come on, dads, lift up both hands and just say, yes, Lord, I need, Lord. Lord, I surrender myself to you. I want to be the dad, the father that you want. I want to be the man that you want me to be, Lord. So I'm crying out to you for your grace for your wisdom and for your strength in the name of Jesus. So Father, you see these dads with their hands lifted up and I pray that your presence would touch each one, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us the wisdom, that you would give us the grace and the anointing we need to lead our families through the land of Canaan. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. We receive it, Lord. We receive it, Lord. Your grace in our lives. Amen. So dads, God bless you. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. We love you and we honor you and we respect what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be. Have a wonderful day with your family, with your kids, your grandkids today. God bless you. Happy Father's Day.